This is Because I Said So, parenting advice with love and leadership from the nation's leading parenting expert, John Roseman, syndicated columnist, author, conference speaker, and the only psychologist to point out that psychology has caused more problems than it has solved. From American Family Radio, here's your host, John Roseman. So the program is called Because I Said So, four words associated with a traditional biblically-based Perspective on the rearing of children, which is what I prefer to call it, child rearing, child raising. I use the term sometimes. The term in question is parenting, but I really don't like it. It's it's a postmodern progressive term, and I am anything but postmodern and progressive, as my regular listeners already know. I am a hopeless throwback a cultural dinosaur, as this program will prove. If you simply stay tuned, you will realize precisely what I'm talking about. If you'd like to discover more about me and my parenting and family ministry, you can go to my website, which is John Rosemond. I'm trying to pronounce the D very, very precisely. J-O-H-N-R-O-S-E-M-O-N-D. The D is often left off, and the last syllable is spelled in various ways, man, mun, mund, all kinds of ways. <laughs> uh, I, I once even received a letter, Dear Miss Mond. They thought my first name was Rose. Anyway, enough about that. Uh, my <laughs> my website is at johnrosemond.com. And there you will discover that I am a heretic psychologist who does not believe in psychology. And no, I am not what is called an integrationist. I believe scripture is sufficient in all things, for all things, in every respect. And that includes the rearing of children. My licensing board, the North Carolina Psychology Board, regrets the day they ever gave me a license because I go around the country and at every possible opportunity, and this is an opportunity. So I'm going to do it right now. I tell what I am convinced is the truth, which is psychology has caused more problems for the American child, parents, marriage, family, school, community, and culture than psychologists even know how to solve. In my estimation, Psychology consists of a set of deceptive untruths concerning human nature. If you want the real skinny on human beings, go to the Bible. Do not go to Dr. So-and-so. And by the way, when I say that I don't believe in psychology, I don't think Christians should go to see psychologists under any circumstances and... Hold on to your seats. I don't believe Christians should be going to see Christian psychologists. In my estimation, people who call themselves Christian psychologists have deceived themselves or allowed themselves to become deceived. It is impossible to blend two polar opposites into a one functional whole. By two polar opposites, I'm talking about a psychological worldview 
and a biblical worldview. So be not deceived by people who call themselves Christian psychologists. They are, by definition, first and foremost psychologists. And you can take that to the bank. So on my website, you can uh, find uh, my books. I've written about 15 or 20, depending on how you count them. My latest columns in my nationally syndicated newspaper column, you will find uh, podcasts of every one of these shows back to the beginning more than three years ago. And you will find where I am speaking in upcoming weeks and months. And you will also find an announcement about a parent retreat, a two-day, what I call parent retreat weekend, that I am doing in New Bern, my hometown, North Carolina, the last weekend of June. I am only taking 25 people into this two-day experience. And we are more than half full at this point. So if you'd like to come, please uh, go online and register for that as soon as you can. In addition to two days of learning, during which I'm going to wipe people's parenting slate clean and write upon it, this clean slate, parenting truths that comes straight from Scripture. But in addition to the two days of learning, there will be an evening a mixer at uh, my house, hosted by my lovely wife, Willie, and myself. There will be a group dinner at a very nice uh, local restaurant here in New Bern. And there'll be plenty of time to tour this very historic and interesting town, which is on the banks of the Noose and Trent Rivers in eastern North Carolina. It, it, New Bern, I, you know, I spent the first seven years of my life in Charleston, South Carolina, in what is now called the Historic District. I'm very specific about that because back in the late 40s and early 50s, it wasn't historic. It was just run down and falling apart. And New Bern, when I first saw New Bern, especially coming across the bridge, it reminded me very much of my hometown. It felt like I was coming home again. So anyway, on with the show. I learned a new word a few weeks ago. I was uh, speaking to a group of about 500 teachers, school counselors, and administrators. I won't say where because the location is not relevant. What transpired, what I'm about to relate, it could have happened anywhere. It was the first time it had ever happened to me, but it's probably not the last. Even though it was a secular setting, and even though I was speaking to what I think was a largely secular crowd, I gave my usual message. From all that I can tell, it was well-received. And by the way, I referenced Scripture a fair number of times, but was never specific about doing so. In other words, I didn't say... And that's Proverbs 22.5 or whatever. I'm very respectful of my host's sensitivities along those lines. So when I'm in a secular setting, I don't identify the Bible when I quote it, but my subtlety is not lost on people with a biblical worldview. So during this talk, I talked about 
fathers and mothers and male parents and female parents. And I talked about husbands and wives as if it was assumed that the terms reference males and females. And I talked about children being boys and girls as if it was assumed that the terms reference certain biological realities. Do you hear where I'm going with this? So when I was done, a good number of people wanted to talk to me, so I was one of the last people to leave the auditorium. And when I came out into the lobby, a young woman, woman, I'd estimate that she was in her late 20s, early 30s, came up to me and identified herself as a high school teacher. She proceeded to tell me how much she enjoyed the talk and that I had affirmed her classroom discipline style, which was authoritative and no-nonsense and therefore was somewhat out of step with the current fashion in education and more specifically public education. And then she asked, and again, very politely, if she could give me a suggestion. Sure, I said. And here was her suggestion. You should consider being more inclusive, she said. I didn't know what she was talking about, really. So I asked, how so? Well, she said, you talk about husbands and wives and mothers and fathers and boys and girls without seeming to realize that those roles are no longer cisgendered. They are gender-fluid roles now. That's the new word that I referred to at the very outset of the program. Cisgendered. You talk about husbands and wives and mothers and fathers and boys and girls without seeming to realize that those roles are no longer cisgendered. They are gender-fluid roles now. Okay, so I'd never heard the term cisgendered before. I didn't even know how to spell it. So I didn't say anything. I just waited for her to elaborate, and elaborate she did. She went on to say, Now I know your generation is largely cisgendered, so you can be forgiven to some degree, but you need to realize that you're eliminating some people from the conversation. You just need to consider that you're talking to lots of people who've moved past those gender restrictions. And she said all of this with a very pleasant smile on her face, and she thanked me, and she was very, like I said, polite, respectful, and she walked off. So I, I didn't have a clue. What was she talking about? What did she mean? What is cisgendered? And, you know, I thought it was spelled S-I-S gendered. And so I thought for a moment that it had something to do with being a sissy. I mean, the, you know, that that's the kind of thing people my age would think of right off the bat when they hear this term. Not all of us, probably, but many of us anyway. So I immediately, when I left, you know, when I got out of the auditorium, got out of the lobby, said my goodbyes and all that stuff, I went out to the car, got in the car, and I immediately called my daughter, Amy, who is 45 years old. Now, my lovely through-and-through daughter, Amy, is an evangelical Christian but she's very much up to speed on the latest news from the front to the culture wars. So I got her on the phone and asked her what cisgendered means. And by the way, it's spelled C-I-S-G-E-N-D-E-R-E-D. 
CIS, not SIS. And when we come back from this break from our sponsor, American Family Radio, I'll tell you Amy's answer. Cisgender. What does it mean? Back in a moment. Stay with us. Welcome back to the show. If you're just joining us, I'm talking about an encounter that I had with a young woman after a talk I gave somewhere in America. I'm not going to identify the place. It's really not relevant because, as I said before, this encounter could have happened anywhere, and it's probably in some way, shape, or form going to happen to me again. But I had this encounter with this young woman late 20s, early 30s, after a talk I had given to a large number, about 500 public school teachers, counselors, administrators, and the like. And in this encounter, this woman had told me very pleasantly, very politely, very respectfully, that uh, I needed to be more inclusive, that uh, I was cisgendered, Um, Most people in my generation were, she said, cisgendered, and uh, therefore, I didn't realize that uh, we were living in gender-fluid times and had moved beyond traditional gender boundaries, and uh, I I did not know what she was talking about when she used the term cisgendered. And by the way, it is not spelled S-I-S. It is spelled C-I-S, C-I-S. And I'm going to tell you in a moment what that means. It's, it's, uh, I think it's called etymological or something like that, derivation. So anyway, this young woman tells me this stuff. You know, you really don't realize that You're speaking to an audience comprised largely of young people who've moved beyond these gender boundaries. And, oh, I know you're cisgendered. Most people in your generation are. But you need to realize you're leaving certain people out of what she referred to as the conversation. When it wasn't a conversation, I was talking. And so I get on the phone and I ask my daughter, call my daughter after the talk. I I leave the auditorium, leave the lobby, leave the premises, say my goodbyes, thank yous. And I'm in my car and I call my daughter, Amy, who is an evangelical Christian, but very up to date on uh, postmodern kind of stuff, you know. And I refer to it as the, she's on the front lines of the culture wars, not as a participant necessarily, but as an observer. And I asked her, what, what is cisgendered? And she said, well, it means you identify with the gender you were assigned at birth. It means you identify with the gender you were assigned at birth. The gender I was assigned at birth, like there was some question about it, like, It was up for grabs, up for discussion. 
I immediately envisioned this committee of psychologists, psychiatrists, clinical social workers, you know, the usual mental health uh, suspects, discussing what gender to assign to me on November the 25th, 1947, and finally, after much deliberation, deciding that I was a boy, not because I have male-ish biological characteristics, mind you, but maybe because they needed a boy to balance the boy-girl equation for the day or something. They could have flipped a coin even, because according to the young teacher in question, what, by the way, who looked like a female to me, but you know looks can be very deceiving these days, apparently, one's actual gender is not defined by biology. Rather, according to this new point of view, one's gender is a matter of how one feels about oneself. And that is, by the way, precisely what a 17-year-old gender-fluid person told me about two years ago. This person, whose parents had been led to believe by narrow-minded doctors and nurses when this person was born, was a girl, was not a girl. According to him, her, he, she was a boy. When I asked him, her, if he, she had any male biological characteristics, he, she told me no. He, she did not. He, she felt like a boy, he, she said. And I asked him, her, to describe to me how boys feel because even though I identify in my cisgendered mind as a male, I could not for the life of me figure out how to describe how a male feels other than to say, not much, thankfully. Some of you out there, I hope, got the joke. Anyway, I never got an answer to my question because at that point, he, she simply got up and walked out of the room. So, after talking with my daughter and Amy and getting back to my hotel, I went to the Internet, and here's what I discovered. First, the term cisgendered was in zero usage until around 2008, when it was introduced into postmodern progressive vocabulary and took off. Second, it is now a word recognized by none other than Merriam-Webster Dictionary, which defines it as, quote, being a person whose gender identity corresponds with the sex the person had or was identified as having at birth. Okay, so there's no biological truth, no biological reality. There are only interpretations. And these, are, these interpretations are based strictly on one's feelings, on emotion. One no longer has a gender. One has a gender identity. Furthermore, whether one's gender identity corresponds with his, her biology is irrelevant. In fact, a person who insists that he is male simply because his biology is clearly male is helplessly behind the culture curve, likewise for a person who insists she is female simply because of her biology. These people, like me, are cisgendered. I also discovered on the Internet that the prefix cis C-I-S, is Latin in origin, and that it means in Latin, on this side of, or 
on one side of, so to be cisgendered means that you are narrow-minded. It means that you are thinking in either-or terms about things like gender. And if you're thinking in either-or terms about gender, or anything else for that matter, then according to the new ultra-hip, ultra-cool, progressive, postmodern, relativistic, and very millennial way of thinking, you are like man, like a dinosaur, or like something, and the only good thing about your like existence is that you and like people like you are like becoming like extinct. Like. Actually, we're not becoming extinct. There are, by God's grace, a good number of young people, yes, even millennials, who are cisgendered, which simply means they are not delusional when it comes to their self-concept. The young people in question do not accept that they are male or female. They clearly recognize that they are, in fact, either male or female, that they cannot be male on Monday and female on Tuesday because they woke up on Tuesday feeling different than they felt when they woke up on Monday. See, this is the way these young people convince themselves that they're intellectually sophisticated. That's really what all this is about. That's the bottom line of this whole thing. I mean, in effect, this young teacher, you know, God bless her. And I hope she wakes up and comes to her senses someday. I mean, I did. You know, there was a time in my life, my regular listeners know this, when I was a hopelessly lost in a dark wood, atheist idiot who thought that spouting postmodern progressive platitudes was very, you know, ultra hip, ultra cool, fab gear with it, and meant that I was at the avant-garde of intellectual progress and evolution. So I have hope for this young lady and people like her. Yep, there are young people in America, and lots of them still, who believe God created male and female, just as we are told in Genesis chapter 1, verse 27, where it says, so God created, and this is the ESV, so God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. Note, it says male and female, he created them. Not male and female, he created him, or male and female, he created her. Male and female, he created them. God is so unhip. I guess it's safe to say God is cisgendered. Now, Here's the bad news, you know, all kidding aside. In closing, I got to point out that this postmodern gender relativism has been embraced by most mainstream denominations. Check out Presbyterian Church USA. Check out the Episcopal Church. It's been embraced for sure by the Catholic Church. Several parents have told me within the last year or so that Catholic priests have told them with a straight face that it is possible for a person to be in the wrong body, that it's possible for a girl to be in a boy's body and vice versa. Well, to be very honest, nothing that comes out of the Catholic Church these days surprises me. In Matthew 24, verses 27 through 29, Jesus tells his disciples that at the end times it will be like it was in the days of Noah. In the days of Noah is a reference to when sexual corruption held sway on the earth, 
when all manner of sexual boundaries were being transgressed, including the boundary between angels and humans. For more on that, see Genesis chapter 6, verses 1 through 4. And Jesus goes on to say that in the days of Noah, people were clueless as to what was coming. They just kept right on partying like it was 1999. Then the flood came and took them all away. Back then, they were taken away. This next time, they will be left behind. If we are in the end times, and I believe we are, then all I can say is hallelujah. For one thing, I don't know how much more we, meaning those of us who can still think straight, the cisgendered, that is, I don't know how much more of this we can take. Thanks for joining the show. I'll be back same time, same station next week. God bless you. God bless your families. 